Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as ever by Will Schroeder, Startups.com CEO and founder. So the intention for today was to talk about uh, how founders communicate in a crisis. Once again, we're recording this still in the midst, in the grip of, uh, of the COVID lockdown. So uh, there's a bit of a crisis going on. So probably never been a better time to talk about this. You know, it's not the first one, though. And, and again, that doesn't make it better or worse. And yeah. I, I'm not even going to try to compare them. But I'll say this, and, and I think this is worth noting. This will essentially be the fourth time you and I have been through one of these. Yeah. Um, just to, to count them back, uh, the first one in 9-11, I think we should just talk a little bit about um, what it was like responding in that crisis. Again, in 2007, 2008, of course, the financial crisis. And then just for fun, uh, we invented another one in 2015 where we bought a company that imploded overnight. Now, a global crisis, but in our world, it was yeah, significant. For uh, sure. And you learn a lot about who your company is, who your leadership are, is, and really who you are uh, in a crisis like this. And I think as each one has gone by, I think we've just learned to become less and less affected, you know, as far as your shock and awe and more and more focused about, okay, I kind of know how this story ends. Let's make sure it ends better than it did last time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like so many lessons in founderdom, we know when to duck because we've already hit our head on that bar. Right. It's just one of the, one of the things. Absolutely. Um, so just a quick progression, Ryan, if you don't mind, let's just kind of just go back to the last few crises and just talk about, um, how it hit us, uh, just in general, you know, where our heads were at the time. Because I think what we'll do is we'll say, based on all that knowledge, based on all that experience, really, uh, here's what we did well, and here's what other folks can do to kind of share in that experience to be able to to navigate through something as gnarly as this is. Because they're all horrible, and they're all crazy, and they all feel like the end of the world at the time, but the world goes on. The world goes on. Yeah. And they're all wild and crazy for different reasons, too, which is what makes it interesting, right? I think there are some kind of commonalities that we can take away from it, but there's still so many dynamics to, to each of these each of these situations. For example, you know, having being forced into working from home uh, was was never an issue with any of the previous crises. And so each time they've, they've presented right. with some some different challenges, whether they're, you know, existential or financial or, you know, in this case, geographic. Um, yeah. Let's dig in, man. Well, okay, okay. So uh, again, just to use a little bit points of reference here, so folks understand kind of the, the world we've lived in before. Uh, again, nine eleven um, was such a, a tremendous crisis because it shook the world at its core. It happened immediately, and it happened on live TV. Yes, right. Uh, it yeah. was unbelievable to watch that event. I remember running into the conference room, and uh, everyone was huddled around a TV. And like everyone else in the world, we watched the entire thing happening. I mean, just like the amount of heartbreak, the amount of just shock of what was happening was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks that will be listening to this were probably, you know, uh, in in nursery school when this happened. Um, Doesn't matter. Uh, The fallout from that was unbelievable. The whole world just shut down. Yes. Travel, especially in the U.S., uh, travel shut down, just everything all at once. And so at that time, uh, I was running an agency and and we had $10 million a month in payroll. Yeah. Right. So this wasn't like, it was like a a few people to contend with. This is massive. And so we had, we had huge clients 
And all of a sudden, within days of this thing happening, I get some calls where the client says, hey, you know that one big project we were working on? Things are a little bit weird right now. No one's traveling, what have you. Yeah. Uh, let's just put the brakes for a second. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, put the brakes for a second, not the end of the world. Um, another client calls. Hey, <laughs> you know that big project we were working on? Mm, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm afraid to pick up the phone. I mean, like every client is calling, canceling. Yeah. Uh, and again, $10 million a month, you know, you, you really can't get too many cancels and make up for that. And so the reason that one was hardest, and Ryan, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but the reason that one was the hardest was because it was the first time I had been through it. Uh, I had, I didn't know this stuff could happen. Right. Well, put into context too. I mean, we were far closer to the start of our careers at that point as well. I mean, it, it was, it didn't exactly right. take a, a, a major, you know, global crisis uh, to throw a major wrench in the gears of my company at that point. You know, I was running a, a small agency at the time. And, you know, there were things like people quitting seemed like an existential crisis at that point. So, you know, when when 9-11 sure. came along. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was your biggest <laughs> right. issue was, was not being able to hire fast enough. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the, at, at that point, um, you know, the and we've talked about this in other episodes, the the emotional intelligence at that point, you know, the the managerial experience at that point, uh, was to say lacking would be would be giving me more credit than I deserve, but <laughs> yeah. So you know, it was one of those things where when it when it happened, it it certainly wasn't my first thought. And I think that was one of the really interesting things about what happens in a crisis. And and at that point, um, you know, it was a relatively small. I only had like 15, 16 people uh, working uh, in the agency at that point, so it wasn't anywhere near ten million dollars in payroll. Um, but it was hours before I even gave a thought to how it might impact the business. Like time just stopped. I was, I had, I had gone yeah. to my, I don't remember why, but I had gone to my parents' house um, and it was making breakfast for them or something. I, I remember being outside on the grill, but I know it was morning. I think I was grilling bacon and eggs for some reason. I don't know why, um, but I was outside. My dad said, come inside. Um, and, and he said, you know, they, you know, a, a little plane ran into one of the, one of the trade centers. And that was at that point, they had no idea what had happened. Right. And so we're sitting there like, oh, well, that's weird. You know, like, God, you know, you'd, you'd think, you know, even if you'd completely lost, like you'd find somewhere else to crash. Right. And so then we were saying, oh gosh, was it intentional? Couldn't have been now. And as we're sitting there talking, another 747 flies right in the side of thing. And just the, the world stopped. Unbelievable. Like just out of a movie. Unreal. Right. So, you know, in, in that moment in time, my company didn't exist. I was just sitting there watching that television, like everything else ceased to exist. Um, and it was, it was hours before, you know, I kind of shook myself out of it and then, and then started calling, uh, calling around to staff, um, because some of them, uh, had family in New York. And so it was like checking in, making sure everybody was okay. Um, just super crazy times. You know, luckily nobody was directly personally impacted. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was wild. And, and then, uh, you know, similarly, um, over the next day, two, three, um, client calls started coming in. People were, were pausing or reducing, um, uh, you know, the spend with us, uh, or canceling projects altogether. And, uh, you know, I think in total, uh, you know, when, when all was said and done, we lost out on something like 35% of, either uh, existing like recurring revenue and or future book revenue from that was all tied to that one specific event. Um, and, and like you said, you know, when you're in the agency world, that's, that's, that's a big chunk, right? And that, that means having to make decisions around payroll and yeah. keep people on or not. And you have no negative operating leverage. 
exactly. So what was interesting, though, uh, and again, I, I really want to frame all of this because I think all this is relevant, uh, is that we also got to see what happens after a crisis. Yep. Because I think knowing what's on the other side of this journey is as important as anything. Because at the time, Ryan, for both of us, we didn't know um, what was going to happen after this. It was just so apocalyptic that we were kind of like, well, geez, you know, if uh, uh, if this is the end, I guess this, this is just the end. And I know at the time, I couldn't wrap my head around, because I didn't have the experience yet, um, that there was going to be a life after this. And what I did in those moments would also extend through this life after this. It wasn't just ruin. And uh, after the whole thing imploded and the stock market imploded and everybody got unemployed and all this crazy, horrible thing happened, um, people went back to business. But they did it differently, right? The, the cost of everything plummeted, which actually became this enormous you know, opportunity. Um, the, the mentality for everyone was, hey, maybe we should build stuff that sustains a little bit. You know? And that, that always, that's always how it starts. And then it changes back to, to go-go times. I hired two of my best employees in the aftermath because they lost their jobs at uh, one of the bigger agencies in town at the time. Um, so you know, there, there, there were opportunities and interesting things that came from it. There are, and it passes. I mean, you have to remember that the world still wants to operate again, Yep. right? And even though we have a crisis and there will be another one after that, uh, these do go in cycles. And and founders who have been through this enough times um, understand that this is the beginning of a cycle, that we have to shift gears entirely. We have to just say, okay, I guess we're in this phase of, of how the business runs, and then change all of our parameters to go meet that. And then we know that we have to run like that for some period of time, until we're allowed to go back to the way things were. But, you know, for a lot of folks, for me, when I was first getting into this, I was like, no, my job is to keep things exactly the way they were before all of this <laughs> yep. happened. You know, yeah. totally ignoring the fact that any of this stuff happened. And so if we had 700 employees at the beginning of this, I'm a failure unless we have 700 employees after this. If we have 600 million of revenue before this, I'm a failure. If, and I'm like, in, in retrospect, that was just pure ignorance. Sure. Right. Yeah. But again, it was the downside of not having been through the cycle. And so, again, that's a little bit what we'll talk about. If we fast forward a little bit, uh, once again, we hit 2000, 2007, 2008, we have the financial crisis. Again, this is all these are US based events. So I'm trying to be mindful of the fact that they didn't necessarily affect everybody the same way. Interestingly enough, I can provide some context on that because I leapfrogged that one. I was, I was in Europe uh, during that. And then I came ah, back okay, to the US at the tail end of the crisis here in the US. Um, and just missed the kind of when things started cascading and, and crashing over there. So yeah, it was interesting timing for me. We were uh, raising money for a financial services company uh, that essentially became, again, a different company entirely, but uh, the same thing you see for like a firm and stuff like that. Well-timed, very well-timed. We were in the middle of raising as the financial meltdown happened. So it was one of those apocalyptic events again where we're in a position where we need more money more than ever. Yeah. And the last thing available right now at the time is, is money. money. Yeah. Uh, again, freak out moments, et cetera. We had a little bit of a better you know, understanding of, of how this works. But again, major crisis. And the company ended up going out of business on that one. Yeah, which is interesting too, right? I mean, so there's... There's a big difference uh, in in those two scenarios. I mean, notwithstanding the the actual events behind them, but you know when you know you talked about before, the world will go back to normal, and that's fine. If you're running an existing business, you know that might mean trimming way back. That might mean um, you know you know changing uh, operational structures, uh, doing doing a lot of things. But when you're at that nascent stage of a business and you're in the crisis, 
it can manifest very, very differently. And in, in, in the case of, of that company, you know, it had to fold tents. Um, it wasn't, you know, there, there are situations where you can't just simply say, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just ride this out. We'll just sustain this, um, particularly because of the, the financial needs that you guys had in order to operate that company because it was based on having available cash to deploy. Uh, there wasn't really a good pivot around that. If I fast forward again, Ryan, and just and, and we'll wrap up this context piece, uh, for 2015, um, we buy a company called Zirtual.com. Uh, which is helps people find virtual assistants. Uh, Zirtual was an amazing company, but uh, had some financial mismanagement problems um, and shut down virtually overnight. In yep. other words, everybody went into work on Friday, assuming everything was good. On Monday morning, everyone was fired. Uh, it, to be fair, this is just a bizarre situation. Uh, we'll get into it in some other podcasts. But for the 450 people that worked there, this is exactly what Apocalypse looks like. And so we absorbed the company the next day and we were in charge of dealing with everything that had just happened, right? It was, it was a complete nightmare. Uh, worked out great. You know, we ended up saving a, a wonderful company and that was the goal, but major crisis, major, yes. major crisis. Uh, and, and I think by the time we got to that one, this is 2015, we knew how to manage crisis. So I think part of what we'll talk about today is some of the, the tactics we employed to help manage this crisis. And then we'll, then we'll fast forward to 2020 today, we're in the coronavirus crisis and talk a little bit about kind of how we've been managing through this one as well. In the last two with, with coronavirus and with um, uh, virtual, Ryan, I've had the good fortune of going through it with you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we got to do both those together. Still doing this one. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's <laughs> it's so perfect. different. It's so different. Yeah, there's there's one other thing that was interesting about the context of of virtual. Uh, two things really. I think one it, that it was localized to that company. Now, for the people going through it, it doesn't really matter, right? Because it was their whole world, right? It, it's it's crisis all the same. The, the, the other subtle difference there, and this had nothing to do with, uh, you know, the 450 people who were in the company at the time. Um, but for us, we got to decide whether we wanted to run into that forest fire or not. And I think, at least in my case, that, that gave me a, a different level of, of energy and excitement around doing it. Um, it felt more like we got to play the hero to some extent, as opposed to being the victim of the crisis. And it's funny because fundamentally didn't change anything. We still had to do all the same work. We still had to do all, uh, you know, the, the, the long nights, the early mornings, the hard decisions, the work didn't change at all. The only thing that was different was the mindset. And, and I think it's just a great illustration of, you know, how you couch something, how you frame something can have a hell of a lot to do with how you feel about it. And in that case, simply by saying, Hey, let's get together. Let's decide if we want to do this. We decided we wanted to do it. And then we ran into the abyss willingly um, and with a hell of a lot of energy, we came, we came out the other side with a lot less energy. Uh, it but, worked. Um, yeah, it did. Let's talk about why it worked. Let's talk about kind of, you know, what we learned. And given the fact that there's some crazy stuff going on right now, and there will be more in the future. So again, take this as just moment in time. Um, let's talk about what worked. Um, I would say top of the stack, you know, first things first. We've we've definitely settled on the best way to approach the crisis. We're again we're we're talking internally focused. By the way, um, is to cut the bullshit. Yeah, for sure. Ryan, in the agency days back in two thousand one, um, we were in the business of spin, so to speak. Yeah, you know, we were in the business of creating <laughs> marketing messages, and yep. and everything was always great. Uh, that I think internally, our messaging was constantly trying to not cover up, but you know, kind of put the best possible light on how things were going. And 
here's what's also interesting. And again, some older folks might appreciate this. The way you communicate within a company has changed dramatically, right? Back in 2001, CEOs weren't writing personal blogs out in public about how they were dealing with, you know, mental issues, et cetera, right? Like (laughs) your last day on the job back then, right? I'm shaking my Um, head no right now just so that I can pretend I don't understand what you're saying so I don't have to admit to being an (laughs) older person. I'm just saying to the positive, the ability to have uh, open discourse has changed for the better dramatically um, in the past 20 plus years. Yeah. So we have the ability and if I may, the expectation um, to shoot folks straight, to really cut the bullshit. And my take on it is the moment the messaging sounds suspect, it sounds guarded, it sounds uh, deliberately spun. It loses credibility, which loses its efficacy completely. It does. And imagine on the backside of that, in whatever that you, whatever you don't illuminate, uh, it, it becomes a kid's nightmare, right? It becomes 20 times worse in their imaginations than the reality. Sure. Um, but if yeah. you leave any shade there, it will get filled with worst case scenarios. And, and I think that's the other, the other side of it. In addition to just looking like you're bullshitting them, which feels bad. Um, you leave the rest of the the actual truth up to conjecture, which is really, really dangerous, especially in a crisis. When shit hits the fan, so to speak, I think the assumption has to be all of our team is talking and they're saying all negative things. Like, like, you know, it's worst case scenario across the board. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying I think you have to build from that assumption. In other words, if you say, hey, you know, we've hit this little iceberg thing and it seems like, uh, you know, ship's, ship's rocking a little bit, but everybody's fine. You know what I mean? Go outside, have a drink. Things are cool. There's people on the deck going, dude, we hit an, ice, we hit an iceberg, <laughs> right? right? Like, I had a drink. It spilled all over the guy next to me before he went overboard. Yeah, yeah no, like I, I think the worst thing you can do is, is say to yourself, well, I don't want to freak everybody out. So let's, you know, let, let's create this kind of spun version of the way things are. Now, at, at the same time, you don't want to get on the PA and say, "Hey, Titanic passengers, uh, we're all going to die." You know, <laughs> you know good luck right. swimming home. Stay calm. Like uh-huh. it's, yeah, yeah. Stay, stay calm and, and try to find a boat. Uh, like uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you have to rile everyone up, but I think in the messaging, it has to come across more raw, more honest, more empathetic than any message you've ever had before, because no messaging is going to, to get picked apart in red more than everything you say in a crisis. So if you have to defend it, you shouldn't be saying it. That's right. Yeah. I think if it, if it looks like a shield um, to, to anybody that you're delivering it to, there's a big problem. The other side of that, and this is what you're talking about just a second ago, is if you also hand them a sword, uh, which they can then just use to eviscerate you, that also doesn't help, right? So you, you need to be careful in, in how you deliver it. Uh, again, it needs to be honest. It needs to be truthful. Um, but you also don't want to just, you know, kind of throw things into the wind, like, yep, everything's bad. Um, this is a total shit mess. Uh, we have no idea what we're doing is might be honest. Um, probably not the best message to deliver in a crisis. When, uh, the whole COVID thing happened, uh, you know, internally, we got about 200 people at startups.com. Uh, and you know, like everybody else, people were freaked out. Uh, why wouldn't they be right? Uh, Ryan, you, me, Elliot, and a few other folks, we sat down and we said, you know, for some of us, again, we've been through this a few more, few times before. Um, step one is to circle the wagons. Step one is to circle the wagons and make sure that all our defense is as strong as it can be. You know, that means cutting expenses that you can, et cetera. But while we're doing that, you know, while we're strategizing, figuring that out, our staff is, is thinking, am I going to have a job? 
right? right. Just tell me, you know, like, don't tell me like, hey, you know, we're, we're looking at this or that. Just, am I going to lose my job, right? Now, I know that's easier said than done, um, but don't overlook that. Like, if, if you come up with some communication that says, hey, I just want to let you know there's been some challenges in, 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 in the, um, the, the public health sector, et cetera, like, don't tell people stuff they know, right? Like, t- tell them what they're thinking, right? Um, we know these are challenging times. We know that you're concerned about, you know, caring for your families or, you know, uh, your career, et cetera. Um, here's what we're doing to try to prevent that. Um, here's, here's what we're hoping for, you know, in those measures. Like we said, hey, there's a number of cost-cutting measures we've taken. We've taken in all areas that don't affect personnel. And we're, we're monitoring by the day how revenue comes in, how expenses come in, et cetera, to see if there's any other guidance that we need to make. That's it, right? We're not saying you won't ever lose your job. We couldn't possibly know that. But I want everybody to be armed with as much information as possible so they can see the same thing that I'm seeing. So even if it's unsure, at least they're seeing the same picture. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it's really important. Uh, You know, you you said something critical, which was that tell them what they're already thinking, right? So you you don't want to just become a list of facts that they're already aware of. Um, you know, you need to answer the questions that are already likely in their head. And, and that means, you know, spending some time to think about how are they thinking about this, right? Not just how is this affecting the company and what facts can I pass down to them, but how are they thinking about what they're going through right now? Um, the other side of this is uh, being able to think about how they're feeling, right? Because there, there's also sure, a, absolutely. a, a huge, the I mean, the empathy piece of this is, is perhaps, you know, the most important, right? If people feel like you have empathy and if you really, truly do have empathy for them um, and you're delivering the information with empathy, then the, the facts uh, don't change, right? The facts may still be the same. They may be harsh. They may be, they may be hard to take, um, but delivered with empathy, um, it at least keeps people facing the same direction um, and you can work together to, to solve this because, you know, the, the other thing that's really important to remember, the last thing you want in a crisis of external nature is to create an internal crisis because that's going to make navigating it exponentially harder, probably impossible. Yeah. And, and you want people to know that they're heard. I mean, this is at, at any stage of the business, but man, particularly now, right? There's nothing worse in a crisis than feeling like you're not being heard or considered, or you don't understand the decision criteria uh, for the people that are that that have your 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 future in their hands, right? Like, if if we're dealing with this crisis, uh, the first thing in my mind is let's give everybody else the same decision criteria that we have, so they understand where we're coming from. You know, this is how we're making decisions. Yep, that context is so so important, right? Sure, and treat people like adults, right? Say, look, you know, if revenue hits a certain level we're going to have to consider reducing expenses, which of course, you know, is, is going to mean layoffs or, you know, um, staff reductions, et cetera. Um, and, and let people understand the causal effect on that. You know, if, if in this time I'm a retailer, you know, geez, heaven forbid, right. Uh, if I'm a retailer and in, and I say to my staff, Hey, we're going to have to, to, uh, to slow down our business. You were, best case, we'll see 50%, you know, from our online business or whatever, of where we are right now. Um, with that, we're going to have to cut costs. That's, that's likely going to mean um, some of your costs as well, right? And so, but these are our only options. We can only, you know, basically pay out as much expenses as we're getting in, in revenue. And so here's how we're trying to uh, make those decisions. Different businesses are going to have different conditions of what they can and can't share. But ultimately, 
everything you're saying is just a bunch of words until people know exactly where they stand. Yep. And so the cut the bullshit is what's the fastest, most plausible way we can get people on our side of the table to understand how we're developing this and make sure that they understand their concerns are part of how we're making decisions. Yeah. I mean, nobody ever likes to be told how to feel about a situation, right? So arming them with the information so that they can make their own decisions, understand where they stand in, in the crisis um, matters more at, at a time like this than, than any other. Um, you know, in our case, and, and like you said, there, there are differences in what can and can't be shared depending on the type of company, whether it's public, privately held, um, even just the internal company culture. Um, one of the things that I think went really well in, in our communication was, was not just letting people know that, you know, if we get to this point, we're going to have to cut costs. Um, we got specific about what kind of things we were going to do to play defense before that, right? Like here are some costs that we know we can right. cut that won't impact any of you. And we're doing all of those things first. So at least they all know that we're taking every possible step we can to defend any human cost first, right? And now I sound like I'm talking in right. war terms, but but it, it is a bit like that, right? And so we, you know, we're we're willing to yeah, give up yeah, some yeah. positions in order to 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 maintain our people, and and that's okay. And I think it's really important that they understand that. The other thing that was great about kind of drawing the lines in the sand was it made it easier for subsequent communications. Right. That first message that you sent yeah. out to the rest yeah. of the group where we, we sort of set out some parameters for here's where we are. Um, this is the stage that we're in right now. This is the situation. These are the types of decisions that we've had to make. But we're not at stage two where we're going to have to make different decisions. And you can kind of just let people know, hey, not much has changed. We're still in this first phase uh, where, you know, any cost cutting is going to come from, you know, external contracting or marketing spend or something else. Uh, that won't impact your life directly. And, and I think that was really well received. And again, it makes it easier to then, you've got that basis of communication and you can just kind of keep pinging on those same points and letting people know that either nothing has changed, everything's still copacetic, or we're moving closer to having to make different levels of decisions and then being specific about those as well. Um, and, and thus far, that's been really well received. Totally, yeah. I, I also think, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, we did particularly well in the 2015 uh, period during Zirtual, which is a tough time anyway, but what worked well, um, despite the fact that it was a tough time, was that we opened up communication to the top, right? Like, Because here's my thought. I think that uh, the moment you send out communication, especially something that's not going well, the communication immediately gets parceled uh, into all the different you know interest groups within the company. They jump into their personal chats and they come up with their own version uh, of of what you just said, right? And whether you like it or not, whether you think it happens or not, it does. The only way to pretty much break that up, because it never goes anywhere good, by the way, where people are sitting in that group and like, oh, what he really means is this. And you know, what he's really saying is this, is take it off the table. Say, look, if you're not sure what's going on, here's my communication, here's my email, here's my you know phone number, here's my office, whatever, you know, whatever your most direct communication is. Say, there's no excuse for not knowing what's going on or having questions because you can you can directly communicate with the decision makers that could be your manager the CEO whatever um and leave no room for interpretation that way when someone decides that they have their own version of what reality looks like and they're you know kind of standing on their soapbox in the break room telling all the other employees what's really going to happen people can call bullshit at them say hey look you know CEO said you could just ask him directly. Have you asked him? No. no. Okay. Well, then how do you know? <laughs> Why are we speculating? Yeah. This worked out particularly well. I'll use the virtual example because that's actually, you know, we've been full cycle on that one. Um, 
when Zirtual shut down, essentially 450 people, mostly Zirtual assistants, um, all got let go um, with almost no notice, I mean, pretty much no notice, uh, on a Monday morning. Needless to say, they're freaked out. Thousands of clients freaked out. And so we had to communicate to a staff that we had just taken over like nine seconds ago. A bunch of people they've never met before in their yep. lives, had no relationship whatsoever, and try to like address what the hell just happened. And so one of the things that worked particularly well was we sent out communications to, to all the folks, to all, uh, all the employees, and we said, look, uh, if you're not sure you know, what's happening or if you're not sure where things stand or where our heads are at, Here's our personal communication. Just ask. Again, we know you don't know us from Adam. Like We, we understand that. We appreciate what you're going through right now. Um, you don't have to guess. You don't have to guess what's happening up at the top and create these conspiracy theories. Just ask. And if you're not asking, then that part's on you. Again, and I, you know, I don't want to uh, pass the blame, but I want people to have, share the responsibility of making sure that they get the right communication. Well... <laughs> So what happens, you know, when you send 450 people that just lost their job, most of them single moms, by the way, you get 450 very, very detailed emails, phone calls, uh, you know, video. Right. <laughs> you get a lot. Of Which is exactly what you want, right? And you, you want that. It's exactly what you want. Like, I, I, I didn't look at uh, 450, you know, email, inbound emails as a liability. I looked at it as an opportunity because... A lot of those folks, obviously, they had no idea who we were because uh, we had just bought the company. But uh, it's it, it it allows you to just answer the questions directly, you know. And for most startups, they don't have nearly that big of a staff. If you have twenty eight people and you can't communicate with them all directly, the the problem isn't the number of people you have. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting there, though, and I, I think that you do have to be careful of that, even even if it's possible. So even if you have a company of twenty eight, I've seen this go poorly. If you do a bunch of one-off communication and there's any deltas between what gets said, that's part of what starts to create some of that back channeling. Oh, well, you know, they told me, you know, it was, it was going to be 20. Oh, well, I heard 30. Right. And so right. this becomes really, really problematic. And so I think that, you know, in, in the way that we executed this with virtual and the way we're doing it now with COVID, um, we've been very clear about making sure that everyone knows they're all getting the same communication through large group communication channels like our Slack and our email, where we're sending out the, right. the large, you know, the, the mass communication. Um, again, very open, very detailed, very honest. And then we're opening that up for, uh, for individual response, because I think that's also very necessary. You can't leave all of that in a group setting. For example, we drop that in Slack, we get some feedback there. But as always, you're going to get very different feedback in a public channel than you do in a one-on-one -on -one where people don't want to share how this specifically impacts them, the context of their own personal lives, their personal financial situation. Um, and so I think even if you do have the ability, if you're small enough, you might be a five-person team, maybe a 25-person team, it's still really important to make sure that there is at least some singular touch point for communication that everyone knows is consistent. Sure. Yep. Otherwise, I think you run the risk of of having a lot of opinion and a lot of conjecture get injected into what should just be objective fact. Yeah, and and, and I also you know recognize the fact that for a lot of people, emailing the CEO or emailing their manager, you know, emailing kind of you know above their 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 uh, reporting structure is intimidating, right? So not a lot of people are going to do that. Um, but the the importance is opening up those lines so that they can get honest and actionable feedback from people that actually know what they're talking about. 
because I think I always feel this way in the in the absence of open communication, you get lies, right? Uh, you get twenty different versions of what the truth is, uh, unless you establish one, right? And, and the worst thing we can do is is leave a whole bunch of gaps in the communications and let people fill in the gaps on their own. That always ends poorly. Hundred percent. The second is, I don't believe in in addressing the concerns of groups. And what I mean by that is, <laughs> hey, everyone here Groups don't have concerns. Bullshit. Right? Yeah. 20 different people have 20 different variants of what their concern is. Um, and and I never, I'm never comfortable with hearing, well, everyone's saying this. Right. No, no. not everyone has kids. <laughs> not everyone has debt. Not everyone has, has a second income at home. So th- it's not one universal problem. It, it, may, it may bubble up to one common problem, but there's 20 versions of why that problem exists. And it's my job to unpack each and every one of those. 100%. Yeah. And circling back to, to the open lines of communication piece, um, I, I think there's something else that, that is necessary. To your point, people aren't going to email all the way up to the CEO in a lot of cases. And it, of course, this depends on how deep sure. the management layers are. Um, I saw this executed really, really well uh, when, when I was still running tech for a market research company. Um, they went through an existential crisis where they decided to fire their their biggest client, um, which was across the board, 40% revenue in some of the mark, country market level operations, it was 60, 70% of the revenue. Um, so big deal, wow. big, big deal, right? And, and it had a lot of impact. Um, it was a fundamental difference between, you know, that company's ideals and, and, the, and, and the parent company. Um, and it was a good decision. It was a great decision. In the long term, they've, they've blossomed because of it. But at that time, it was absolutely a crisis. And um, in dealing right. with that, one of the things that they made sure to do was to, to give people as many options as possible for where to communicate. And most people chose to communicate directly with their direct manager, the person they were most comfortable with. Which makes total makes sense. Makes total sense. But the directive then from the senior management, the executive level, was that anytime you get one of those, respond and let them know that you're also copying in the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, whoever it was that should have been in that stack, um, because they're going to want to know about this too, and they'll have good input on this. So they automatically looped them in and opened up that channel for those folks. Um, and it worked really, really well. A lot of people that wouldn't have otherwise been comfortable reaching up to the top level of management were all of a sudden thrust into a conversation, and, and they went really well. And, and it really did help to open up that communication from top to bottom. And in that company, you know, unlike ours, there were, I mean, managers had managers had managers. It was, it was a very sure. kind of uh, draconian um, management structure. Uh, it worked for them. Um, but, you know, by, by U.S. standards, it would have been, you know, far more management layers than, than we would typically see. And certainly, you know, in startups.com, we're, we're damn near flat. It's, it's a hell of a lot more management than we have. Um, and so it was really important to make sure you broke those layers down. Yeah. And some of those constituents are the managers, you know, letting managers, you know, if, if they're a couple layers down, be able to kind of, you know, bubble up and say, Hey man, like what's, what's really happening here? Cause I'm not sure I'm getting the full story. I think the, the, the point is you've got to take the, I'm not getting information component off the yep. table. Force it uh, if you have, you have to. to overshare in probably a way that, that you might not even be comfortable with. Um, in an effort to get everybody on the same side of the table, which brings me to our third point, which would be getting everybody on the same side of the table and by way of that, finding a rally point. I think that if you're the general and you're commanding this army and you're getting shelled, if all you keep talking about is the fact that you're getting shelled, it's kind of game over for you. <laughs> yep. It doesn't end well, right? 
what what you need to be as as the general in this case is you need to be saying those shells are coming from that hill over there. We need to go charge that hill and take that over, right? Like uh, you need to create a rally, a focal point, no matter how dire the situation is to say survival comes from this objective. Everyone focus on this objective. And we may not get there, right? Survival may, may be, look, guys, we can't, we can't hit less than 50% in sales. If we hit less than 50% in sales, uh, it's going to be game yep. over, right? And maybe we don't get there. But what a colossal failure on behalf of management if we don't illustrate exactly what that rally point is, what each person in the organization can do to get to that rally point, and most importantly, the progress <laughs> by day, by the way. Hey, end of today, here's what we got done. Right. Shout outs to this person, yep. this person, and this person. Goal is now still this. Everyone keep charging. Yep. We're one hedgerow closer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a different, this is wartime type management. This isn't the same as we were doing a week prior to the crisis, right? Everything has to change. This is a completely different level of communications, of focus, of management and determination. And I think, uh, I think, I mean, you tell me, but we were very specific about what folks needed to do when, when, uh, things went sideways. Um, and I think folks really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I think making sure that, you know, you, you do explain that there will be changes, right? And there, there are consequences to the changes. Um, but here are the marching orders. Here's what we need to do. Here's how you can put some of your destiny in your own hands and, and take action, right? And I think that always feels good. Um, as you were going through that, I was thinking back again on the example that I gave early around how different I felt about the crisis of virtual because we ran into that uh, willingly. Now, whether you run into it willingly or not, I think it was really just a question of, of motivation, right? It wasn't necessarily that, oh, we chose right. to do it, but the motivation level going into that crisis was very different. And so I think that's the, the rallying point gives you something to be motivated towards, um, particularly if you can, you can be as objective as possible and quantify you know, these, the, you know, if you can really point out, it, it may not be quite as simple as saying that's the hill the artillery is coming from. Let's go knock the, the, the cannon off the hill and we'll all be fine. Um, but being able to be very objective and, and quantify the, the rallying points and saying like, look, we need to achieve this so that this happens or so this doesn't happen. Um, right now, if we can maintain a 70% sales volume, um, everybody can keep, you know, full pay, full benefits, uh, nothing has to change, right? If we slip into 50, 60% range, then then that's a different story, right? That's a hell of a motivation, right? And it's a clear target. They know exactly what they have to do. There are different thresholds and how specific we can be about those those rallying points. We can say we need to save $20,000 and hey, we need every idea possible for people to come in. In every single case, when, when we've made that call, that rally, um, in the different situations that I've been in, I have been amazed at how many people came out of the woodwork because everyone does want to help because yeah. let's face it, all of our jobs depend on it and said, Hey, you know, we could actually cut this, this, you know, one SAS cost that, that, you know, we end up spending $5,000 a year. It doesn't sound like a lot. And I'm like, look, man, at which point, you know, we're trying to cut every expense possible. Every, every dollar matters. Possible. Yeah, that's right. And I think, right. And I, and I also think there's some psychology in it. I think for the folks that are saying, Hey, you know, this is saving 400 bucks. I guess it's not a big deal. And they find out it is a big deal. The first thing in their mind is, hey, let me see where else I could do that, right? You know, the, the, yeah, they, exactly. If like four hundred matter, does two hundred matter? Does another five hundred matter? Yep. Look, it, it it sort of does, and you know, in certain organizations, depending on how big you are in your cost structure, you know, four hundred dollars may not matter. But 
I think the spirit of it matters. It does. Right? Even if even if the dollar volume isn't going to necessarily change the outcome of the business, I think getting the entire staff on our side of the table, our side being leadership, saying, here's what we're all dealing yep. with. This isn't about leadership, you know, kind of running everybody off the off of a cliff as lemmings. Uh, this is all of us in this together. Here's how we're thinking about the problem. Here's the decisions we're making based on that. And here's where you can help. And I think, look, if it doesn't work, it's because we all didn't make it work, not just because leadership made bad decisions. And look, you know, in, in spite of all that, things may not work out. You know, it doesn't always work out. I've had plenty of cases where it hasn't worked out. Um, but I think what we've learned, you know, Ryan, I, I, I'm, um, I'm proud of this experience, is that going into the crisis, we know what to do. We know it, might, it may not, you know, may not save us, but I feel like we're, we've got a pretty solid playbook and approach for kind of how to navigate it. It is. It, it's, it, you know, the, the other analog here, Will, is the acquisitions that we've gone through. Right. In in the first couple of those, yeah. there was a lot more figuring out how to go through that process. What does diligence look like? What are the questions we need to right. ask? Um, and if you recall, like with with Zirtual, um, by the time we'd gotten to that one, it was far easier in in a lot of ways because we, right. we sort of right. just said, like, hey, let's go figure out if we want to acquire this company. Let's 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 get moving. We didn't have to hand out a bunch of orders. I just remember kind of everybody in the team going into action and doing the things that needed to happen. Um, and very much the same thing with with this crisis. It wasn't it wasn't like we had to go around the horn and say, "Hey, you think we should find some some cost cutting measures?" People came to the table the, the day of, right? The day we sort of knew this was going to have a major financial right. impact. Everybody showed up with like, "Here's here's what we're thinking about cutting from our side. Um, here's what the impacts of that's going Absolutely. to be." Right? And so it, it's fantastic. And I think that a, a big part of that goes back to this this question of motivation, right? And so when we can put a motivation in people's hands that make them feel like they're having an impact, turn them into the hero instead of the victim, it makes a huge, huge difference in, in their ability to execute on that and the, the energy, the passion that goes into it. Um, and that cannot be overlooked. It's especially at times like this, we need that extra gear and, and we need people to be able to take action on their own without having to be led through, uh, everything, you know, by hand. For example, the difference in, in me going to, you know, one of, one of my direct reports and saying, okay, I need you to cut a thousand dollars. Um, come back to me and tell me what you're, what you're cutting out is very different than saying, Hey, um, you know, we're looking at cost cutting measures. Let me know what you think you can do on your side. Right. And if they, if they come back with less than I need, I may have to go back to them. But if I can leave a little bit of that right. autonomy in their hands where they get to feel like it's their decision, they get to make the choice. And in reality, they do get to make the choice. Um, it goes way better, right? And everybody feels better about it. You feel like you're contributing to something. Again, that 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 focal point and being able to rally towards that as a group, um, but being able to know that your individual effort in all of that mattered, um, as opposed to just being cannon fodder or lemmings off the cliff, is a big deal. At its core, when it comes to crisis, when it comes to a, a point where you know you've got to make some tough calls and you've got a lot of people that you know maybe constituents in the process, what matters is. You're transparent. Everyone believes that what you're saying in the direction that you're giving is is the truth, and it's something that they're willing to get behind. And look, man, even if the ship goes down, and it often goes down, to be fair, I've been on one of those ships, or more than a few of those ships that have gone down, um, at least we're going down together, right? At least we're going down fighting, and we both believe in the outcome. I think it's like you know any kind of team, whether you're playing sports, the you know you're you're in, uh, in a military exposition, whatever, like. You're you're all in it together, and even if it doesn't work, so long as you're in it together on the same page, you're at least willing to give it a fight. You know what I mean? 
You know, it's funny you, you, you say that and it brought a very specific memory back, um, you know, playing, playing youth soccer and we lost a lot of games, but I only remember a couple of the losses. And the thing that I remember about those losses is the same in every case. Well, one of them was hugely disappointing because it was the, the a championship in a tournament. Another one, a totally insignificant game, but the entire team was at each other's throats. Everybody was blaming everybody else for what was happening. And again, it wasn't a consequential game. It didn't really matter. And yet what I remember about that loss was how everybody was on each other's case um, at halftime, after the game, giving each other shit at the next practice. It really hurt. Um, and it really hurt the, you know, the team performance. Um, but yeah, so, and, and there were other times where, you know, as long as we felt like we gave it our all and everybody was together, losing together felt better. Now, I'm not suggesting you lose. Don't go and right. shut down just to figure out if this is, uh, if this is a good feeling. Um, it's not, um, but it certainly hurts less if, if you maintain kind of team cohesion and everybody's on the same page. Again, if you're running towards that rally point and, and it still doesn't work, at least you are running, you know, that feels better every time. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at Startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com begin. That's startups.com B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.